from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Ben Terrace coming from The Washington Post. Hi, Jeff. Miss Winfrey, Oprah. Hi there. How are you? It's Lisa Bonas calling from The Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao. It's Friday, June 4th. Today, baseball is back. But it's still kind of broken. Yeah, and they all played, what, 20-plus years? For many Americans, baseball means summertime. And this year, unlike last year, baseball has been almost normal. Williams to Fowler. Fisted in the air foul, and this ball is going to be out of play. Here's Aaron Hicks batting third. Back goes Margo on the track. At the wall! She's gone! Oh, let the guardy party begin! But the return of baseball has also meant the return of some of the problems that were plaguing the sport, even before the pandemic. Martine Powers and I did a story about some of those problems in 2019, and it still rings true today. Well, we are watching a really, really good baseball team against a really, really bad baseball team. I'm at Camden Yards with sports reporter Dave Scheinin, where the Yankees are playing the Baltimore Orioles. The bases are loaded, but the seats, not so much. Oh. Like I said. <laughs> so it's already 3 nothing. The Orioles haven't even gotten a single out yet. It's a home run, something that's happening at record rates in 2019. And according to Dave, that can be traced in part to something that's called pitch velocity. I think it's safe to say that even Babe Ruth would be helpless at the plate against what the average major league hitter today is facing. Dave says that pitch velocity is the root of all kinds of problems that baseball is facing. Boring games, longer innings, poor ticket sales. That's all because baseballs are being thrown faster than ever before. So when you talk about velocity of pitches, like what are we actually talking about? Well, we're talking about the fastball, which is the basic fundamental unit of pitching before there was ever a curveball or a slider or a changeup or a knuckleball or a spitball or whatever, there was a fastball. Fast, hard-throwing pitchers have always been sought after. It's always been a fascination for fans who could throw the hardest. You know, a hundred years ago, Walter Johnson was maybe the most famous pitcher in baseball in the 1920s and in the teens, and it was because he could throw harder than anybody else. Now, we couldn't measure it back then, but there was a fascination with him. He was called the Big Train. He was one of the most famous, most legendary pitchers in history, and it's because he threw harder than anybody else. But now we're seeing a lot more people, a lot more pitchers, being able to throw really fast and really hard. Right. So it's become sophisticated to the point where pitchers can train specifically for velocity. They can go to an off-season training facility that essentially their mission is to gain you two, three, four miles per hour on your fastball in one off-season. It's also become sophisticated to the point where front offices and executives and talent evaluators now select 
prospects for velocity number one. That's the number one criterion. So between those two forces, you're now seeing the average velocity in the game ticking up and up and up and up and up to the point where you wonder how high can it go. You know, at a young age, that was the... (laughs) That was the thing that I always looked at, how hard did I throw, and uh, you know, you always wanted to be that guy that kind of threw the hardest. And- Dellen Batances of the New York Yankees is a great example of the new trend in baseball. He's six foot eight. He throws uh, generally in the upper 90s, but he has been clocked as high as 102 miles an hour. If you see over 100, you kind of get like a little extra adrenaline boost and you try to throw a little harder. You feel you hear it from the crowd too, don't you? Especially at Yankee Stadium? Oh yeah, they le- definitely let you know in Yankee Stadium. The 2-2, he got him, 100 miles an hour. That's an impressive eighth inning for Dylan Batances. He gets Davis, Kinsler, and then he strikes out Miguel Cabrera. What has happened over the years is that there's many more pitchers who throw as hard as him now, whereas when he first broke in, um, there was almost nobody throwing as hard as him. You know, it's definitely a lot different. Uh, You know, before, if you threw 95, that was amazing. Now, I feel like, you know, 95 is still hard, but it's like, it's normal. Do you think that's a good thing, though? Because some people are saying that, like, because the pitches are so fast, that it means that there are more strikeouts or more home runs, but not much of the in-between. And that, at least for people watching, that it makes the game less interesting. Do you think that's... Well, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. For me, I feel like it's, it's fun. You know, I, I enjoy striking guys out. I mean... <laughs> So for me, that's what I try to do. You know, for me, it's a cat and mouse game. You know, you try to make pitches. I'm going to try to strike you out, and you're going to try to either get a hit, home run, or whatever. Obviously, home run is better for those guys, but I try to strike you out. This idea that the speed of the pitches is changing all these other ways that baseball functions, that's not just like a theory that you have. I mean, you've done the math to show all the ways that this has repercussions on the other things that happen during a game. Right. I mean, there's been uh, so much data in baseball. This is the era of data, the era of analysis. And there's smart people who have figured out that velocity rules. There was one study that showed that the longer a pitcher held a ball, held the ball for every second he held the ball between pitches, his velocity increased by 0.2 of 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 a mile per hour. And so it's an incentive for people to be taking a longer right. time between their pitches. And and there's a cause and effect there thing because by doing that, you can gear your body up to throw even harder and it manifests itself in added miles per hour, but that's a problem for baseball. That's more dead time. That's adding seconds and minutes to a game. And it also affects the way that people are able to hit. So one effect of velocity has been to create what we call in baseball the three true outcomes because they don't require any defense at all. Home runs, walks, and strikeouts. Those three things are climbing and climbing and climbing at the expense of everything else. The home runs, strikeouts, and walks are now 35.4% of all plate appearances in baseball in 2019. That means there's fewer balls in play than ever before, less action than ever before, less involvement of the defense than ever before. And people notice that, right? I certainly hear from readers and fans, and uh, they're becoming, you know, turned off by the way the game is played. 
Uh, I would think I liked it years ago much, much better than I enjoy it today. When you have to go to a ball game or sit and watch a ball game on TV, it's like never ending. It, it's changed a lot, but I love baseball. I've, I've lived in Baltimore all my life, so I've been coming to watch the Orioles play since the 60s. There are times when the games can you can almost nod off. Uh, and this is coming from a diehard fan. A diehard fan. And I have to say that's a sentiment that's shared by a lot of people within the game as well. People, scouts and executives whose job it is to watch the game intently are telling me that it's, you know, it's unwatchable. I personally feel that there's something lost because we used to bunt, hit and run, steal. There was a lot of exciting parts of the game. Rick Dempsey was a catcher for 24 years in the big leagues. Uh, He was the 1983 World Series MVP for the Baltimore Orioles. Everybody's gotten away from the razzle-dazzle, the bunt, the hit and run, the fake bunt, that sort of thing, getting those infielders to move around a little bit. I mean, he's, he's among those who have said, you know, plenty of times that the way the game is played today is just not as exciting or enticing as it was uh, in the time where, when he played. They focus more on velocity now just from the very beginning, even when you're an amateur. A lot of scouts won't even look at you unless you're throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour. One of the most important ways in which velocity has changed the game is the use of relief pitchers. For as long as anybody has been watching baseball, starting pitchers have been uh, deployed in, in hopes of going seven, eight, even nine innings, completing a game. But what teams have figured out is that, well, if relief pitchers can throw harder, let's use relief pitchers more than starters. And more frequently than ever are coming out in the fourth or fifth inning and you start the parade of relief pitchers coming in from the bullpen in short bursts, throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour. But that parade of relief pitchers and, and pitching changes stops the game. And that is one of the, I would say, the, the worst and most visible manifestations of, of the velocity problem. What is the solution for this then? Can you just tell pitchers, like, you shouldn't be pitching so fast so frequently? You know, Major League Baseball is trying to find solutions for for some of these problems. But to this point, they've been mainly treating the symptoms, you know, such as trying to limit the use of relief pitchers, minimize the rosters so that you can't carry an unlimited number of pitchers. But increasingly, baseball is looking at the root cause here, which is the velocity. And the most intriguing experimental rule proposal is going to be tried in 2020 in the Independent Atlantic League, which is to push the mound back by two feet. The the mound has been at 60 feet, six inches since the 1890s, and it's been considered, you know, sacred. But I think Major League Baseball now sees that that is one way to perhaps minimize the effect of velocity. You push the mound back by two feet, you give the hitter uh, a few extra milliseconds of reaction time, and you reduce the effect of velocity and maybe restore the equilibrium in the game. I think that in some ways, this is really ironic, right? Because 
It's really exciting to see people break records in terms of the speed of pitches, to be able to pitch balls faster than anyone ever has before. But then at the same time, with that achievement comes this way that it changes the game that a lot of people agree isn't very good for baseball. Right. There is something exciting about Aroldis Chapman coming in and throwing 103, 104. There's a visceral feeling that takes over a ballpark when you see 103 pop up on the digital readout. That one hit 106. That would be a new record for the hardest pitch ever thrown. He set the mark last year just over 105. But... What's being lost in baseball is the nuance, and it's always been a game of nuance. You're losing the the, the single, <laughs> a single base hit that's becoming um, less frequent than ever before. You're you're losing things like the stolen base, the bunt, the hit and run play. A lot of strategy and nuance is is lost from the game when all it is is power versus power. Dave Scheinan covers national baseball for The Post. The story was produced by me and hosted by Martine Powers. Fast forward to 2021. I wanted to catch up with national baseball reporter Chelsea Janes about how those same trends are playing out this season, basically in the form of a lot of no-hitters. A no-hitter is a game in which one team does not get any hits. That does not mean that they don't make contact. They can make contact. They can hit fly balls that are caught. They can hit ground balls that are fielded and then thrown to first base before they get there. But they just don't have any hits. So no homers, no doubles, no singles. They just are not reaching base safely without the help of the pitcher walking them or without a fielder making an error. By and large, it is a game in which one team has a terrible offensive performance or one team has a pitcher that has the night of his life. And it's sometimes fun to watch, but in the quantities that we've seen this year, I think people are wondering if it's getting to be a little much. Carlos Rodon has thrown a no-hitter. John Means has no-hit. The Mariners and the Orioles mob him. The first no-hitter for the Orioles in 30 years. Wizardry from Wade Miley, a no-hitter. Some trends that we've seen over the last decade or so have continued, and that has resulted in what a lot of people call kind of an egregious imbalance between the level at which pitchers are playing and the level at which hitters are competing right now. And what that has resulted in is a a lot of strikeout heavy games, fewer runs being scored generally, um, fewer hits, fewer balls put in play. And I think a lot of people are worried about that because they come to see action. They come to see defense and and balls fly out of the park and hit the wall. And um, right now there's less of that than there has been you know, in recent memory. And another part of the equation is that uh, with the ability to collect and analyze data at higher levels in baseball, you're finding teams move their fielders around with great specificity to be in the place where each individual hitter tends to hit the ball. And so what that does is it takes away balls that might have been hits back in the day when everyone just stood where they normally stand. You know, now these hitters are 
you know, making great contact and it's going right at someone. So, you know, it's really been a sport that has optimized what it's doing defensively and in terms of pitching and the hitting has not been able to catch up. So I think that's part of why we're seeing so many no hitters. And I'll be interested to see if, if it continues because it seems like we're on track to really blow away the single season record. But is that a good thing? Because it seems like having so many no-hitters in a row might mean they sort of lose their luster. I think that's right. I think it's exciting for the fans of the team who want to see history made, but it's definitely boring for the fans of the other team. Um, There's not necessarily a lot of action. And what's interesting is so far we've seen six no-hitters, but three teams be no-hit, which means that three different teams have been bad enough twice that they didn't get a hit in an entire game, which is also rare. So, you know, those teams in particular, I think their fans are probably pretty sick of it, but it's uh, it's interesting. And Chelsea, what are some of the solutions that are being discussed to kind of fix, you know, the fact that there are so many no-hitter games right now? When we spoke with Dave a couple of years ago, he had said that the minor leagues were considering even like moving the mound back. Did that ever happen? That is going to happen on an experimental basis this year in a league called the Atlantic League, um, which is a minor league. They're going to move the mound back a foot. And that is a big deal because in baseball, the mound has been 60 feet, six inches from home plate since I believe the 1800s. And it has never changed. It's sort of part of the beloved geometry of the baseball field. Um, And there are mixed opinions on whether that's really going to change the game dramatically. Um, But they're going to try it in that league and just see what happens. There are concerns that you move the mound back a foot from where everyone's always had it. You're going to get more injuries. There are concerns that there will be more walk because pitchers aren't going to be able to, you know, have the same kind of control over that distance. There are people who think it won't matter at all. So I think it'll be interesting to see, but there are other things in the works too. There are going to be experiments in the minor leagues that limit that shifting of infielders. So you would have to keep your infielders sort of in their intended positions as opposed to moving them to where you think the hitter will hit that ball based on data. There are going to be bigger bases uh, in one minor league level to see if even just making the bases a little wider, making that distance a little shorter, allows people to steal more bases and create more action that way. So there are little tweaks that are happening, but I think the one everyone's going to have their eye on is moving the mound back in that one league because it's drastic, but it, it may create the extra reaction time that hitters need to sort of close the gap with pitchers. And Chelsea, what are you going to be looking forward to this season? Coming back from COVID, there is, as corny as it sounds, sort of a slightly different appreciation for all that is going on. There are players who are just really happy that their families can sit in the stands, that they can be out there at all, you know, that they don't have to wear their masks anymore with their teammates and things like that. So I think, you know, at least until the season starts to kind of drag on in August and things like that, you're going to see a lot of people just really happy to be there, um, which is not always the case in baseball. It's a it's a grind of a sport. And, you know, there's a lot of cynics, a lot of complaining, but I think that's been different so far. And players are going to start to be able to talk to fans. And, you know, once some of these restrictions lift, um, I think the interaction is going to be really nice to see. There are a lot of teams that are going to be, you know, in contention until late in the season, which means a lot of cities will get to watch teams and have something to root for until late in the summer. That's not always true. Sometimes these seasons are kind of foregone conclusions. You know who's good and and they stay good the whole way. And and so far, it seems like everybody's kind of got a shot, which is really special. Chelsea Janes covers national baseball for The Post. The story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith.
that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by our executive producer, Maggie Penman. Our senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are me and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnik and Rennie Svernovsky are associate producers. Savvy Robinson and Emma Talkoff are our assistant producers. I'm Alexis Diao. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. 